You are awake today, man. I think it's because the conflict between uh, the season of summer and winter has finally been finished. Oh, I'm so glad the conflict between hot and hotter is over. We now have entered into the season of just hot, so it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, you know, by the way, if, if you uh, have a conflicted relationship, if this is a season of conflict for you, I want to encourage you to sign up for our upcoming marriage seminar. Uh, it's an intimacy marriage weekend. Uh, Eric and Rachel DeFore are a great couple. I just spent uh, a couple weeks ago, spent some time with them in Turkey. Uh, they're from France. They are relationship experts, and they also love Jesus. So you definitely want to sign up for that. If you're married, it'll be an awesome opportunity. There's a bunch of red balloons outside if you want to sign up for that. Uh, because let's face it, conflict is inevitable, huh? Maybe it's not just conflict in marriage, but it could be conflict in sports. Congratulations, by the way, South Africa. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> Condolences, New Zealand fans. All right. <laughs> It's great. Even on staff, there was some healthy conflict. Uh, we had some New Zealand fans and some South Africa fans. And the, the New Zealand fans asked me to hold a jersey doing a, during a video promo on Instagram. Maybe you saw it. Uh, and then the, uh, the communications team got back at them because I just typed in the sermon notes, could you get a picture of rugby? That's all I said. And then they said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a picture of South Africa. Here we go. Shh. Uh, and I love this picture that they chose, actually, because it shows just trying to push through what seems to be an unstoppable force and what actually proved to be an unstoppable force. <laughs> but we all have that moment when, when we want to try and push through to, to try and do something. Have you ever been there where you feel like either you want to just your heart is thumping in your chest and you're face to face with some sort of opposition and you just want to run away the opposite direction, right? Some of us want to flee. Uh, or maybe you, you're at that point where you, everything in you, just you're trying to hold down a big fight that's erupting and, and you just want to push through this barrier and in a life where there's no red cards given, <laughs> uh, you're just trying to hold in and you're not pushing through that barrier. Or maybe you're face to face with opposition and you find yourself just frozen. You don't know what to do. Today we're going to talk about how do I respond when I'm face-to-face -face with the moment. The moment of conflict, the moment of barrier, the moment where we need courage and boldness. It's that moment that we all face. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that moment well where you want to, to push forward, you want to speak up, you, you want to be able to, to freely express how your life has been transformed, but you end up just going, mm-hmm, yeah, that's great. Or everyone around you, all your social circles, or maybe it's online, and there's something happening that you know that Jesus doesn't stand for, and you really want to speak up, but you're too afraid of getting canceled in cancel culture, <laughs> so you just remain quiet. Or the boss calls you in and says, hey, I, I noticed there's something different about you. Could you just tell me what it is that's different about you? And you feel deep down inside, you want to be able to talk about Jesus and share how you're different, but you just go, uh-huh, yeah, and nothing. <laughs> We're gonna see today, when we are face-to-face -face with that moment, 
Whether it's where God is leading us to speak up or God is leading us to live out. And you just feel like, I want to live differently. But I find myself just up against something that I just can't have the courage or boldness to press through. Have you ever felt that way with your heart racing or that lump in your throat? Or or you want to speak up and you just find yourself scared? Today we're going to see how God crashes in with courage, how God inserts boldness into our hearts. I don't know about you, but I really need a good dose of boldness and courage. Do you? We're gonna see today a guy named Stephen, and and Stephen saw God on the move. And that's what we're gonna see about when God is on the move, we're gonna see three profound realities, and then we're gonna see the reason that he can speak with great boldness and courage in the midst of a pretty shaky situation. We're gonna see with Stephen, because he had just been chosen by the apostles in the book of Acts, he had just been chosen to go about and do God's work. Now imagine if you were pulled uh, out of fellowship and, and you were about doing God's work and so Stephen's out there, he's telling people about Jesus and God is using him to do amazing things. He's doing signs and wonders, probably laying his hands on people. He's doing the work of God to prove the word of God and, and things seem to be going really well with him. In fact, when God is on the move, God's movement is unmistakable. Let's just look as we go into Acts, starting at chapter six. We see Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Like he was just going around and, and, and touching people and they were being healed and talking about Jesus and people were responding. And he's like, whoa, this is awesome. This is great. Have you had that time when God has used you and you're going, ooh, this is wonderful. Oh, well, Stephen was, was doing that and it was great. And so he moves into the the synagogues of the time, the Jewish leaders. Uh, He moves into the synagogues and the Jewish leaders, and and he's he's telling them, he's saying, you guys, let me tell you about Jesus, the promised one in all of your scriptures, the one God promised to deliver you. He has come, and his name is Jesus. Let me just tell you about this. And you see, then they started to debate with him. (laughs) And we see that when God is on the move, God's movement transcends debates. God's movement transcends debates. Just look at what happened. It says, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and uh, of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They were trying to argue, but (laughs) nothing came out. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit from from Stephen. He was speaking, and they couldn't deny the signs and wonders, and they couldn't object to the truth. They were just dumbfounded. God's movement transcends debates. And, you know, don't get me wrong. It's good for us to be able to engage in healthy dialogue, and I think that's really helpful to be able to have... uh, educated, rational, respectful conversations in dialogue. I think that's really important. It's really important for you to be able to articulate what you believe and why you believe it. That's healthy. It's great to be able to answer questions that people are searching for. That's awesome. We encourage dialogue here. 
But as we enter into dialogue, we have to know that we can't change anybody's mind. Only God can change someone's heart. Do you believe that? Do you believe you can't change anyone's mind? If you're married, you just said, amen, hardly, right? (laughs) Do you believe you can't change anyone's mind? God has to change someone's heart. I remember 15, 20 years ago, I was mountain biking with a friend of mine, and he was a leader in a cult. He was my next-door neighbor, and he was in this cult, and I was trying to, to share with him the good news about Jesus. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I believe the same thing, and I'm like, no, you don't. And, and we kept having these conversations very respectfully, and we would go mountain biking, and we would ride our bicycles up to the top of the mountain about an hour each ride, and we would have these debates and dialogues, and then we would go down the hill, and he was a lot faster than I was, so I was holding on for dear life, and I was praying, don't die, don't die, don't die. I was also praying for him, like, like, God, help me convince this guy. And so every time we would go out, I would study, I would prepare, I'd be ready to debate. And then on the ride up, the debate would start. The ride down, I'd be like, oh, change it. I just got to change this guy's mind. What can I say and how can I respond? And then it dawned on me one time, after weeks of doing this, I realized, God, I'm never going to change his mind. Only you have to change his heart. You see, when God is on the move, God's movement transcends debates. So be prepared to have educated respectful dialogue, but realize only God changes hearts. When God is on the move, uh, not only is he the only one that changes heart and it transcends debates, but God's movement actually irritates empty religion. It irritates man-made rules and regulations on how to connect with the divine. It irritates empty religion. Let's look at when Stephen went in and he talks to the Pharisees and the scribes. He talks to these religious leaders. And as he shares with them, well, we'll just see what happens. And then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and they seized him. And they brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Imagine with me, just think about it. If this were to happen here and now, like Stephen would be called in to a council of people and and saying with false witnesses, saying things about him that he did that he never did and things that he said that he didn't say. And and all of a sudden, Stephen is in the hot seat because he has irritated those in the synagogue. He's irritated the Pharisees. He's irritated those that have created false religion that is empty of divine connection. He is saying that it's not about following rules and regulations, that God's movement isn't a bunch of mandates, but that God's movement is one of not religion, but relationship with Jesus. It's about a relationship with Jesus and that Jesus has come and, oh, they get so mad. They get so mad because they have a set rule and regulation to follow. They have so many rules to follow 
It takes forever for them to read through it. In fact, they had a practice of reading through their rules and regulations called the Talmud, and they would read through one page. Now, one page of our Bible takes uh, maybe three to five minutes to read through. Now, one page of their Talmud, at the very lowest level, just skimming it, takes 30 to 60 minutes to read through. You know, they had so many rules and regulations at an hour a day. You know how long it took them to read through the whole law? Seven and a half years. <laughs> That's a lot of rules and regulations and interpretations of rules and regulations. And you see, they had, they had thought, no, this is what you have to do. You have to follow the law, the customs. That's what it's talking about when it says the customs that Moses gave us, that we have to follow the rules and regulations. Humanity always loves rules and regulations, We do, but when we try and make our own rules and regulations to connect with God, then we try and make humans be the coach and God is the player. But the thing is, God can't be played. God can't be played. He's the one that has created the world. He's created us. Now, sure, human, it's good for us to be able to live out the way that Jesus has changed us. Absolutely. But Even some of us come from churches that have a lot of rules and regulations. Have you been a part of a group of people that follow Jesus that there's a ton of rules and regulations? And you're like, where did this come from? Where does it say that I can't wear this this color of clothing or I, I can't drink or smoke or chew or run around with people that do? Or like, there's all these rules and regulations. Have you come from overly regulated religious institutions. I remember talking with someone here said, oh, well, we, we, couldn't, uh, we couldn't watch movies. We just can't watch movies at all. Like, well, why not? And maybe you come from a, a church that's a little bit more progressive, but there's certain rules and regulations. Like you can go to the cinema as long as it's rated PG and it's in, the, in a matinee in the middle of the afternoon during the weekday and you paid half price for the ticket. <laughs> it's just like, we, we want to create all these rules and regulations about what it means to be righteous, what it means to be perfect or holy, but Jesus is the only perfect one. That's why man-made, empty religion will always be irritated when we talk about a relationship with Jesus, because it puts God in the coach's seat and humanity as the players. It means that Jesus is the boss, and yes, he shapes how we live, but we will always be irritated by relationship over religion if we don't really have that relationship with Jesus. It says that his face, Stephen's face, was like the face of an angel. Have you seen the face of an angel? What what do you think a face of an angel looks like? (laughs) Thank you, yes. (laughs) Thank you for the increased laughter too. That was really good. (laughs) And we think an angel, an angel of the Lord, a face of an angel is like man baby face and, and it's totally clear, a perfect smile, kind of a Hollywood looking angel. And we think a light is shining behind the face or the face is bright or whatever. No, the face of an angel, you know what the Greek word for angel means? Messenger. It's the face of a messenger. Someone, the Greek word for angel, angelos, means messenger. It's someone that brings a divine message from God that you know when they speak, God himself is speaking and you listen up. 
So instead of a man baby face, maybe we can think of it more of like the, the face of a DHL courier that's bringing a message from God, right? <laughs> like this is, if this is knocking on your door, you're like, okay, I am expecting a message, all right? <laughs> Some sort of probably legal document or something, right? <laughs> you see, Stephen brings this message so they know what he, what he is saying is from God. And then he launches into the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Don't worry, we're not gonna go through the whole sermon today because you're gonna go home and read it, all right? In chapter seven, it's the longest message in the book of Acts. And what he, how he can summarize this whole message that he gives to this uh, overly religious, empty religious crew is this. Nothing in the moment stops God's movement. That's the summary of, of all chapter seven. Nothing in the moment stops God's movement. Can you say that with me? And online, just type it in the chat, okay? Nothing in the moment stops God's movement, all right? Now, I, I broke it down. Go home and study chapter seven on your own. But he, he says three different ways, all right? Through a bunch of different historical characters. He goes back into some of their family trees. He goes back into their lineage. He goes back into history to show three ways that this is true. The first is that the geography of the moment does not stop God's movement. The geography of the moment doesn't stop God's movement. In in verses 2 and 3, he says, God spoke to Abraham in Mesopotamia. In 9 through 16, that God moved through Joseph in Egypt. In 30 to 34, that God spoke to Moses in the Sinai Desert. That God worked through signs in Egypt, the Red Sea, and the desert. God spoke to his people through the law at Mount Sinai. And Stephen says, hey, you guys, you religious leaders, God, God's not going to speak in one place. No, the geography of the moment doesn't stop God's movement. Even though God did this and humanity may have done something else, God's movement continues. There's no stopping God's movement. Secondly, he says, the building or location of worship in the moment doesn't confine God's movement. It doesn't confine God's movement. He says uh, in verse 33, God spoke at a burning bush. Later in verse 44, God spoke at Mount Sinai. God was worshiped in the tabernacle. In fact, he's really clear. And he says, God doesn't dwell in buildings made by humans. The the God is not confined to a place. God doesn't work through a a building. God works at building up a people. That God's church is, is not a building. And maybe for some of you, the first time, remember the first time you were invited to fellowship, your friend says, hey, come to church with me. And you're like, okay, great, cool. You had an idea in your head, right? And then you walk, you say, where, where should I meet you? Or they send you a pin and you're like, a hotel? A church meets in a hotel? Yeah, yeah, a church meets in a hotel. And we are really grateful to God that the government has allowed us to meet in hotels, amen? Oh, we're so grateful to God that we can meet in hotels and and we're waiting for permissions for a third site to meet in another hotel because we've outgrown this hotel and and we're really grateful to God. We're, We're really grateful to the government that we can have the permission, but let's be reminded that the building or location doesn't confine God's movement. All right, third, rejection in the moment doesn't stop God's movement. 
He moves on to rejection in the moment, doesn't stop God's movement. Now, remember they said that, uh, that Stephen is uh, talking about everything's going to change with the customs of Moses. He's going to destroy the, you know, he talks about a Jesus that will destroy the temple. He's already said God doesn't, isn't confined to a building or space or a geography. Now he gets really personal in the rejection. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a certain sense of family honor. Do you have a sense of family honor? Like someone talks about your dad or someone talks about your mama and you're like, "Mm mm-mm, you're not gonna talk about my family that way. He goes right for their family, right? He says, hey, you guys, the, the one in your historical lineage, just listen to the lineage you come from. He says, the patriarchs rejected Joseph, the, the patriarchs reject, rejected Joseph. They had their, their brother Joseph that they threw in a pit and they said, hey, you know what? Let's just kill him. And then someone had the bright idea. No, 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 let's sell him off to slavery and at least we'll get some money out of it. And, and he says, even though they rejected Joseph, what they intended for ill, God used for good. Huh, even rejection of Joseph didn't stop God's movement. Then he says that Moses was rejected by two Hebrews. When Moses was rejected to, to break up a, a fight, they're like, hey, who are you to talk? He actually flees and he runs the opposite direction. <laughs> Even though he runs the opposite direction, God still uses Moses in his movement. And then he uses Moses so much, Moses goes and he gets the Ten Commandments and he carries God's written word to his people and he carries the Ten Commandments to the people and as he comes down, he sees that the people have rejected the word of God for an idol. Do you remember that story? (laughs) He comes down, he's like, you guys, guess what? God spoke to us. What is that? A golden calf? How did a golden calf get here? Oh, well, we just threw a bunch of gold and then out, out popped a golden calf. And he's like, oh, psh. And they shout her down, right? Like even they rejected God's word to them. God's movement still continues. Rejection in the moment doesn't stop God's movement. And so he's outlined this whole story. And you know when you're really on a run and you're like, oh, this is really good, like writing an email, and then you get into the real thick of it and you're like, oh yeah, now it's all caps, it's on, right? This is what he, this is what he, what he does. He's about to go into it. He's about to say, your parents rejected and your father's rejected, your whole lineage rejected, and you guys reject. He's about to call them some names. But before we get to that, let's just recognize that there's a little bit of Pharisee and religious ruler in all of us. I mean, there's a little bit of trying to do things on our own and figuring out God on our own, isn't there? Like God says one thing and we go, (laughs) yeah, thanks a lot, God. I think I got this though. I'm gonna do something else. God, I know you tell me I'll be most content when I have no one but Jesus, but man, that new job and that new promotion looks really good. Oh, wait, no, (laughs) Or we say, oh, I'm feeling so discontent. I need to find some more contentment in my life. I know it'll be that new gadget that I purchase or that new reputation I can glean or a bunch of likes on social media. Then I'll feel okay about myself. Or or we run into problems with provision and we think, oh, I know, God, you said you'd provide for me, but I don't know if I really believe you in that. I'm gonna do things my own way. 
Or we can be like someone at the last service I just talked with that said, you know, my whole life, I've been trying to convince myself that I'm a lot better person than I actually am. This last week, it's like I looked in a mirror and God removed the veil from my eyes and I could see that I was all the things I told myself I wasn't and I was none of the things that I told myself I was. This week, I have come broken because I have nothing to offer God but my heart to lean in. And as we had this conversation just an hour ago, she said, I, I've been running away from Jesus my whole life. I've been trying to do things on my own and I've made a mess of my family. I've made a mess of my life. And now I realize that only Jesus is the one Only Jesus is the one that can make me rightly connected with God. Have you had a moment like that? Where you've realized that God's movement is to take your stiff neck that keeps looking down at yourself for the solution and simply point your neck up to see him and the solution he's provided in Jesus. Have you had that moment of being moved from darkness to light, from death to life? Well, Stephen is in the midst of it. Stephen, he knows that they are angry with him. They have seized him. They they have controlled him. They have put him on a defense and he has not defended his own honor. He hasn't defended his own innocence. He has simply shared God's movement throughout all of history that nothing in the moment can stop God's movement. And he says to them this in a grand mic drop moment. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the promised one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. The very law you hold so precious, you didn't even keep the law. He says, the very promised one that God has sent to you, the one the relationship with him is possible through, you betrayed and murdered Jesus. Man, before we get to their their response, we have to know that the good news of God's movement is that Jesus' momentary death doesn't even stop God's movement. That's the whole reason that Jesus died for your sins and for mine. And that's why I got to share with my friend at the last service that although she brings nothing, God has given everything, that Jesus has died for her sins, that he's come back to life. And she said, that's what I want. And right just an hour ago, She put her trust in Jesus for the very first time. Amen, that's good news. And so we see that even Jesus' death, even what seems dead, doesn't stop God's movement. Jesus knew he would be rejected. Stephen knew he would be rejected. In 1 Peter, it says, Now to you who believe, this stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
It's a prophecy from the book of Psalms that was written before Stephen's speech. Psalm 118 says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And then the famous verse that we repeat all the time, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The reason that we're glad in it is that even the stone that everyone rejected has become the very cornerstone, the foundation of God's salvation. (laughs) That even though while we were still sinners, that Jesus died for us. Jesus himself says, have you never read in the scriptures that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? You see, God's grand movement isn't about religion. It's about a relationship with us where he takes our stiff necks and only because of his grace, he just lifts our head to see the right relationship that's possible through Jesus. Have you had your head lifted by Jesus? Do you know, just like Stephen, that nothing in the moment stops God's movement? Have you been overwhelmed? by the good news of Jesus crashing courage into your heart or injecting boldness into your life. Now, um, if you were Stephen, how would you feel? You're brought between, you're brought among a whole bunch of folks. Let's say it's your work, it's the board, or it's the CEO, and they say, listen, we have to talk. And you go, yes, right? You start to sweat or you start to shake or your voice starts to quiver. Now, Stephen didn't do any of that. He knew God's truth, that nothing stops God's movement. He knew that nothing can stop God. And so that's why he stands up and says, you stiff-necked people, you even killed Jesus. And then he doesn't even get to finish his speech because they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. What a tame way of describing the brutality of being murdered. What a tame way to describe an actual act where people didn't want to get their cloaks dirty so they cast them off and then committed such heinous acts. Yet, what a beautiful way he fell asleep to describe the eternal life that we have because of God's movement. 
Because there's nothing that we offer God. It's everything he offers us through Jesus. Stephen knew that the nothing, even speaking up, can, can stop God's movement, that God is on the move. And so with great boldness and courage, he could speak up no matter what it cost him. It's because of that confidence in God's movement that he could be bold in the moment. What will you do in that moment? Well, maybe you face that moment right now. Maybe you have that moment where you can speak up. You can speak up for what's right, or you can speak up in what shows honor. You can speak up about God's power, but, but you just find yourself a little hesitant. I want to encourage you. If that's you, be bold in the moment about sharing God's movements. That boss that calls you into his office and says, hey, I know there's something different about you. I can't quite put it, but uh, would you pray for me? Instead of just looking at him and going, uh-huh, okay, yeah, and then walking away. What's stopping you from being bold and praying right then in Jesus' name? Imagine that friend that you're having conversations with and that friend shares with you something that you disagree with, like all paths lead to the same heaven or if I'm basically a good person then I get to go up to a higher space and what's preventing you with great gentleness and respect to speak up and be bold in the moment. If you are online and everyone else is posting things and you think, I don't really know about that and you want to post something respectfully but you want to repost something you want to post something that aligns with Jesus instead of being afraid of cancel culture what if you let Christ culture dominate the things that you post and talk about for those, there are some of us right now that are in the moment do you have a moment right before you do you have a, a moment or maybe there's a moment that's just passed that's not too late if you're in the moment be bold about God's movement. But there's some of us that we aren't in that moment now. If you aren't in the moment now, those of us that are in the moment will tell you that that moment is coming, amen? <laughs> that moment is coming. Will you feel prompted to speak up and you want to share, you want to be bold? You can be bold and respectful. In fact, I love what 1 Peter 3.15 says. And if you're not in the moment, here's the picture that you take. Memorize this verse, all right? It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to talk about how your life has been moved from darkness into light? Are you ready to share how your life of shame has been replaced with a life that can honor Jesus? Are you ready to share how you don't have to walk in fear of your own insecurities, but you can walk in the power of the resurrected Savior? Be ready to share. Share boldly about God's movement. If you're not ready to share, then we have a great tool for you that's called a 15-second story. We have a training that our site pastors have put together that prepares you to share in 15 seconds. You know what you can do in 15 seconds? You can do a lot of things in 15 seconds. <laughs> Did you think how you could share your story of how Jesus has transformed your lives in 15 seconds? You can. Watch this video 
And, and go through the training and prepare your story. Because 15 seconds is about how long it takes to ride that glass lift from floor four to ground. That's 15 seconds. That's not, that's not long at all. Be ready to be bold in the moment about God's movement. Let's pray and ask God forgive, to give us some of those moments. Father, we confess to you there are times that we shirk away from sharing your truth. Help us to be respectful in all things, to be honorable, to be true, to be confident in your power. Father, open up our eyes in the moment to when that happens so that we can be ready, that we can simply share what you are doing, this grand journey of calling your children back home, this grand journey of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of hope. We thank you, Father. We thank you and pray that you would give us boldness and courage as we continue to choose the Jesus way. We love you and we thank you. And it's in his name that we pray with confidence. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing.